Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Welcome into Outkick the Show. I am your fearless leader, Clay Travis. Hope all of you have had fantastic starts to your week. It is Wednesday. Right off the top, I want to thank all of you who are clicking like and subscribe in outrageously fast rates uh, in uh, right now our YouTube channel. As I speak to you right now, we're about to hit 500,000 subscribers on YouTube. Uh, Again, we are sitting at, what, 467,000 subscribers as I am talking to those of you on YouTube today. I want to drive that over 500,000. I want to drive that over a million. Uh, You guys are consuming us like crazy on YouTube, so click like and subscribe on any of these clips that you are enjoying on this show itself. I love all the comments. Also want to thank, I was down in Fort Myers and Naples on Monday and Tuesday uh, for our radio show audience there. Outstanding time, big discussion, much uh, coming out of that trip, but I appreciate everybody who hosted us down there. I am leaving tomorrow for Las Vegas, Nick Cage style, hopefully not. Uh, but I'll be leaving it for uh, for Las Vegas. I'll be down there. My good buddy, many of you will know him, Todd Furman, getting married on Saturday. Uh, so for the first time in his 40s, uh, he and Nicole are going to get married. So I am headed out uh, with my wife to Las Vegas for his wedding, uh, which should be a lot of fun. And uh, I'll be back here on Monday. I'll do the show tomorrow. But I'll be out on Friday traveling everything else. I also mentioned, I think I talked about it on this show too, uh, we now have a new book coming out. It's called American Playbook. I'm doing all the edits right now. It's going to be out on August 8th, uh, and there'll be more details coming out uh, in the days, the weeks, and months ahead. What are we sitting at here? May, June, July, August, like three months from now, basically 90-some-odd days, uh, that book will be out and underway. But we got a lot of topics to dive into. Uh, Joe Biden announced yesterday that he was running for re-election, as we all anticipated would be coming at some point in time. I said the number one takeaway from the 2022 midterms was that Joe Biden would be running for re-election. And that as part of running for re-election, because there wasn't that red tsunami or that red wave, Biden was going to take it as evidence that the country agrees with his stewardship. Now, it's not true. He's a disaster. He's 82 years old. He's the worst president in any of our lives. I really do believe that. Uh, But he is announced now for his re-election bid. And everybody always gets fired up about how many people voted and who voted for whom. Uh, If you look at the numbers, there were roughly 156 million votes counted for the 2020 election. 81 million for Trump, uh, sorry, 81 million for Biden, 75 million for Trump. And I'm saying the election is going to come down to, you guys all know it, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Georgia, Arizona. Um, Those five states, you tell me how they're going to go. 
and I'll probably tell you what happens in the race. Now, maybe Nevada can end up in a mix uh, of a competitive race. Maybe New Hampshire, maybe Minnesota, right? There's others kind of right there on the periphery that could end up in play. Uh, But if there's more states than that in play, it's probably going to be a landslide one way or the other. Those are the relatively close toss-up states. Um, What I wonder is this. How many of the 81 million that Joe Biden got to vote for him in 2020, how many of those people are actually better off? I think the answer is probably very few, right? Because the country is drowning in inflation. Uh, We are dealing with over 6 million illegals that have crossed into the country. The border is the worst it's ever been. Crime is at 21st century highs. Uh, We've got a war in Ukraine and Russia. We've got the possibility of Taiwan being invaded at any moment by China. Biden's leadership is impotent. It is weak. It is ineffective. So how many people are better off? Virtually no one is the answer. So how many of those 81 million will stay home? Because I think one of the real challenges coming in 2024, if we get a rematch, is most people will not be willing to admit that they were wrong, right? If you voted for Biden, you're unlikely to flip to Trump. And I think if you voted for Trump in 2020, you're unlikely to flip to Biden. Some people will. Let's be honest, there might be a million people, less than 1%, I would say, of the vote that, that voted are willing to swing from one side to the other. I think the more likely way that this shows itself for Joe Biden is fewer people show up, okay? As it pertains to Trump, Trump has got to do something to appeal to women, particularly in the suburbs. Trump's brand is toxic with women, married women in particular in the suburbs. So right now, if you are in the suburbs of Milwaukee or Atlanta or Pittsburgh or Philadelphia or Phoenix, Uh, or any of those places, there are a ton of women who may agree with Trump on policy, but he lost them in 2020 because they were just sick of the overall periphery of his presidency. How does he get them back? How does he get back these women who are reliable, typically Republican voters, but just have a certain level of distaste for Donald Trump himself? Now, Men, I don't think it's going to be that competitive, right? Men, as a group, are going to vote for Donald Trump against Joe Biden if we get the rematch, right? Men is going to, men are going to break massive numbers of men are going to vote for Trump over Biden. Men tend to vote more on pocketbooks, less on social issues, less on emotion, all of those things, okay? So my question is, if we get the rematch that I think we're all headed for, Trump-Biden 2.0, what's going to change that is going to put Trump into the White House that didn't occur in 2020? Just something for all of you to think about. Ron DeSantis may also be announcing for presidency sooner rather than later. Earlier today, while we were live on the air with Clay and Buck, Disney sued Ron DeSantis over effectively a zoning battle that has emerged at Disney World in the so-called Reedy Creek area. For those of you who are not aware, uh, Disney World, uh, based in Orlando, tens of thousands of acres, when it was built, they gave, the state of Florida did, Disney special zoning authority effectively over all of this land. So if they decide that they need to build uh, a new theme park, it's far easier to do. A new hotel, 
They don't have the usual zoning rigmarole that they have to go through. Well, when Disney decided to speak out against legislation passed in Florida that would have kept kindergarten, first, second, and third graders from being taught about sex-related issues, that was branded don't say gay, right? The reality was this was Ron DeSantis saying young kids don't need to be instructed in sex-related issues in public schools. Um, And so this turned into a huge battle, okay? This turned into a huge battle, um, and ultimately Disney lost because most people out there looked at what the bill said, and they agreed with Ron DeSantis. Even Democrats did. But as you look now, Disney tried to, as Ron DeSantis said, hey, I'm going to take away this zoning freedom. I'm going to respond to Disney attacking me by not giving Disney preferential treatment in the state of Florida. So he decided he was going to appoint a new board to overlook the Disney zoning issues. Disney then tried to push through new rules which would limit the overall authority of the state of Florida to present new board members in this Reedy Creek area and what they could do. So all of that is the legal complexities behind what is going on. Here's the bigger picture issue. Disney CEO Bob Iger has effectively decided to go to war with Ron DeSantis and many Republicans out there and embrace its moniker of woke Disney. What do I mean by that? When you sue one of the most popular Republican elected officials in the country after you have previously decided to attack him for his decision-making as it pertains to, uh, to Disney, you have essentially aligned yourself in concrete with the far left wing in this country. And I believe that is a really bad decision for Bob Iger to have made because Disney's business relies probably upon Republicans at least as much as it does Democrats. That is, people want to be able to watch movies without thinking about politics, particularly if it's movies for kids. They want to be able to go to Disney World or Disneyland. And here is what I believe is really the worst move of all by Bob Iger. Ron DeSantis was actually the most pro-Disney executive in the country during COVID. Because I want you to think about this. DeSantis opened Disney World a full year before Gavin Newsom would open Disneyland in California. DeSantis even brought in the entire NBA and allowed them to play at the wide world of sports there in Orlando and Disney when everything else was shut down. So in addition to embracing now left-wing politics as Bob Iger is doing by suing uh, Ron DeSantis, he's also alienating and attacking this the governor who was more favorable to Disney than anyone in the entire country as it pertained to COVID. So Bob Iger is crushing Disney's brand here by attacking the chief executive of a state who did more to keep Disney's business functioning than any politician in the country. Remember, and this is to me a story that deserves to be screened from the high heavens. Ron DeSantis opened Disney World basically a year before Gavin Newsom opened Disneyland in California. 
the study and management there was destructive to Disney's brand in California. And yet Bob Iger now is suing the chief executive officer of a state, the governor, who was most beneficial overall to his business after Disney picked a fight with him, right? This is all very important. DeSantis was just running his state when he said, hey, we're going to pass a bill. We don't think kindergarten, first, second, third graders should be able to get education in sex-related issues. That was an issue overwhelmingly agreed to by Floridians. So DeSantis passed this bill. And then out of nowhere, Disney decided to parachute in and based on a misapprehension and frankly fundamental misunderstanding of this bill, they decided to directly attack Ron DeSantis, the state of Florida, and their individual right to educate children as they saw fit. So then DeSantis responds in kind, and now Disney is accelerating this battle even more. I think this is a huge loser for Disney. And I understand there are politicians out there who are like, oh, this is really activist by Ron DeSantis to get involved. No, they attacked him. Disney attacked DeSantis for the state legislative decisions he was making after Ron DeSantis bent over backwards and went to war to open Disney World for them when their chosen left-wing stalwart ally Gavin Newsom was keeping Disneyland closed because of a misguided understanding of what the impact of COVID would be if you could walk around outdoors at an amusement park. Drives me crazy. By the way, I took my kids down to uh, the Disney parks and also Universal Studios during all this. Do you know what they had us doing? First of all, you couldn't take your mask off even then anywhere inside of these amusement parks, except for when you were eating, which is ridiculous. But at, uh, at Universal Studios in particular, every time you got on a ride, they had someone standing there with a massive container of, uh, of hand wash, hand sanitizer, and every single time you got on a ride, somebody there had to squirt it and you had to rub your hands or you were not allowed to get on the ride. Because after a little while, you can imagine if you've ridden like 10 rides, your hands are like raw and chapped and you're thinking to yourself, why in the world am I having to continue this? Every single ride, you had to get a brand new squirt. Because I tried to go by. I was like, no, I'm good. You know, my hands are clean. I literally have gotten 20 squirts of uh, hand sanitizer already today. My hands have never been more sanitized in my life And they wouldn't let you get on the ride, I swear to you, unless you took the hand sanitizer. Because I tried. I was like, I'm good. They were like, no, sir, you have to get hand sanitizer in order to be able to get on this ride. That's how crazy things were. Speaking of crazy, Bud Light, this happened on Friday. Bud Light has forced two marketing executives that were involved in the Chicks with Dicks promotion. They have forced those two executives to take leave of absences as the overall volume of Bud Light being consumed in this country has collapsed in the wake of the disastrous decision uh, to run woke political advertising for a light beer that nobody would drink if they actually were interested in woke politics at all. It's a total failure. It is a... uh, a a total abrogation of duty 
on behalf of these marketing executives. And some people say, well, take it easy on Bud Light. Uh, they, they, they care. Like they, they, they didn't know what. They, okay, I understand all that argument. I disagree with it. I think the advertising industry in America. There is no advertising industry. There's no industry in America that is woker than the advertising industry in America. And so there needs to be a message sent. There needs to be a message sent about what happens when you embrace woke political advertising and refuse to advertise anywhere on the right in this country. And I'll give you an example. No beer on Clay and Buck, biggest radio show in the country. Never had a beer advertiser. No car advertiser. No restaurant advertiser. No real movie advertiser. You can go on and on, right? All of those brands are terrified to come on our radio program because the left in this country has decided to go after people who have opinions they don't like and try to deplatform them. So it's cancel culture is. Now, some people say, aren't you embracing cancel culture when you say drink something other than Bud Light? The answer is no. I'm not telling you that that company can no longer exist. I'm just telling you, pick a brand that you like more. That's how the marketplace works. I'm not saying Bud Light has to go out of business. They should never be able to make beer again. No, of course not. I'm saying go out and embrace products that support the values that matter to you. And if they don't, if they aren't speaking to you, if they aren't respecting you, that is their fault. It's not cancel culture, okay? Cancel culture is, I disagree with you, and you no longer have the right to exist, right? Cancel culture is deplatforming. So what AOC tried to do to Tucker Carlson, which I'll talk about in a minute. I think Don Lemon is, a, is often incorrect in many of his opinions, right? I don't think Don Lemon should be unable to make a living sharing his opinions, okay? There's a difference between I disagree with you and let me explain why and I disagree with you and you no longer deserve the right to have a job and be able to make a living. The latter is cancel culture. The former is just the marketplace, either of ideas or business. Bud Light, you're going to teach this in marketing programs, the consequences of alienating your base. We'll be right back. Got to take a little break here. We are rolling without kicking. You don't want to miss a moment. Stay tuned. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real Steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Aaron Rodgers headed to the Jets. What do we think about this? Okay, large context, the AFC continues to have way better quarterbacks than the NFC. One of the best quarterbacks in the NFC, 39-year-old, four-time MVP, Aaron Rodgers, moving from the Packers to the Jets, okay? I always like to look at teams within the construct of their division. How does this team stack up compared to other teams? Right now, I'd have the Jets third best, even with Aaron Rodgers 
in the AFC East, and let me explain why. Bills are the best team in the AFC East. I love Josh Allen. Hopefully he gets things worked out with Stephon Diggs. I think the overall direction of the team there is still at its apex. I think they still have another couple of good years to be able to win championships. I know they were disappointed in their performance in this year's playoffs, but just FYI. Second spot, I would have the Dolphins if they can keep Tua upright. I like the defense they're starting to put together. Love the offensive weapons. As I said, when they got Tyreek Hill, the best receiving duo in the NFL right now is Jalen Waddell and Tyreek Hill. Okay? So I've got the Dolphins as the second best team. I put the Jets in at third. Now, if Aaron Rodgers can return to MVP caliber Aaron Rodgers, you can make an argument for the Jets based on the surrounding talent that they're every bit as good uh, as the Dolphins, that they are every bit as good potentially as the Bills. Where does that leave us? Fourth best team in the AFC East? No. I think it's actually the New England Patriots. I think the Patriots are clearly the worst team now in the AFC East. I don't know what the future of Mac Jones is. I don't know what their quarterback uncertainty. I question, I know they made some questionable decisions in terms of who was coaching the offense last year. But I think Bill Belichick's past his prime. I think the Patriots are now the fourth best team in the AFC East. So as we sit here looking on the eve of the NFL draft, Bills one, Dolphins two, Jets three, Patriots four, with the Jets, depending on how Aaron Rodgers plays, definitely poised to be major playoff contenders and potentially to be able to make a run. I think the top three significantly better than the fourth. Uh, I mentioned it a moment ago. On Monday, Bloody Monday, uh, we had two big firings or force outs or however you want to classify it. Tucker Carlson at Fox News and, uh, and Don Lemon at CNN. Now, let me start with Tucker. I have done Tucker's show a bunch of times over the past several years. Uh, I think Tucker did a phenomenal show, right? Great talent, super smart, hit the right subjects. I loved being a guest on his show. Uh, I will miss being able to be a guest on his show. In fact, I was on his final show Friday from up in New York City. Nobody had any clue that there might be any issue at all. Uh, I worked with the staff. Nobody had any clue that was going to be the final Tucker Carlson show of all time. I'm just, I'm just being honest with you. Uh, show went great, lots of fun, uh, and uh, I'm sure that somewhere down the line, uh, Tucker will be on Clay and Buck, or I'll be on whatever shows Tucker has. So uh, I, I think that he has got a real career in front of him. And that's the way that I would analyze this in general. Don Lemon lost his job. I don't want him to get him canceled over opinions or anything else, but Don Lemon lost his job to a large extent because of the controversy surrounding statements like when he said that women out of their 20s, 30s, and 40s were past their prime. And then he got into an argument with Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, and that wasn't a good look. But look, I don't, the, the, the most iconic moment of Don Lemon's uh, uh, career, probably when he asked whether a black hole could have swallowed up the Malaysian jet. Um, I think Don Lemon is an entertaining guy. Um, I think he fell apart during the Trump era, but I think Don Lemon's career is probably past its prime. I think Tucker has a lot of really intriguing options going forward. He could start his own media company. He could 
do his own show and distribute it through Rumble and Spotify and all these other different outlets. He's going to be wildly influential, Tucker is, I believe, going forward in a way that I don't see occurring for Don Lemon uh, uh, in that realm. In other words, if I were an agent right now, I always like to think, you know, you're an agent, you get 10% or whatever of a client's future earnings going forward. I would be all in on Tucker's future. I think it is incredibly, incredibly lucrative and influential. I'm not sure the same is true uh, for Don Lemon going forward. By the way, people are like, oh, what happened? I don't know, right? I don't ever know uh, what happens. You know, like um, I am like a, uh, a lineman on the Fox News team, right? Um, maybe occasionally I can be a tight end, split out wide, whatever. I am not the quarterback. I'm not the owner of the franchise, certainly. So I don't know all the details that go on, uh, but I do know, again, if I could be an agent, I would be Tucker's agent. I think he's going to make a lot of money and have a lot of influence going forward. Uh, I don't think the same is true for Don Lemon. I don't know what happens behind the scenes. I don't know how people get along, how they don't get along. Uh, Certainly, I'm not involved in that in any way. Uh, I just show up and do my job, right? Uh, I am, like I said, the lineman on the team uh, and uh, just hope I'm not going to miss my blocks. Uh, Good news. The Titans, my favorite team. I'd like to see them win a Super Bowl at some point before I die, but at least we now know the Tennessee Titans have got a brand new stadium being built in Nashville. And as a result, the Titans will be hosting at least one Super Bowl in Nashville. So, while I may never see the Tennessee Titans win a Super Bowl, I am confident that I will be able to go to the stadium in my hometown of Nashville and that they will have a Super Bowl there. And let me just pause a moment to to, to mention this for a second. I'm a kid born and raised in Nashville, Tennessee. For most of my youth, we desperately hoped that we might one day have a pro sports franchise. And now, you know, go to Cincinnati to watch the Reds or Atlanta to watch the Braves. Uh, You'd have to travel to all over the place to go see an NFL game, right? Now, all of a sudden, I can't believe that my hometown, the place where I am born and raised, not only has pro football, pro soccer, I think we're going to get a major league team in the next five years. That's coming down. Maybe I'll talk about that at some point uh, on this show in the near future, but I think the major leagues are coming. Got an MLS franchise. We're going to host the Super Bowl. As a kid born and raised in Nashville, the idea that Nashville, Tennessee is going to be the home of the Super Bowl and maybe the Final Four and maybe the uh, uh, maybe WrestleMania and, uh, and, and, and the college football playoff and all these big events in this brand new stadium. It's really remarkable. I take a great deal of pride in that uh, because, man, you used to have to go to Knoxville, Tennessee to go see a big sporting event. Vander, as a kid growing up, sitting and watching Vanderbilt basketball in Memorial Gym was probably the biggest and best sporting event that existed in the city of Nashville in the 80s and on into most of the 90s. And now we're going to have a Super Bowl? I'm sorry. I'm giddy. I understand some of you are from cities where that's always been the case. You You grew up and they always have had pro sports there. I think there's a unique feeling when you are a kid that grows up in a city 
has no pro sports, and now I'm a dad, and I'm going to be able to take my boys in my hometown to watch a Super Bowl? It's crazy. Crazy. Uh, Finally, our good buddy Dr. Fauci did a long-form interview in the New York Times. I was reading this yesterday. I would encourage you guys to all go read it yourself. There are a couple of things that are important that were said in that interview that I want to react to. First of all, Fauci said masks work only about 10% and just on the margin. That's important because, remember, people like me who were saying at our school board meetings, why in the world do kids have to wear masks? We were called grandma killers. We were called anti-science zealots. No, we were looking at the data and we were right because they have moved very quickly over the past couple of years from if you wear a mask, COVID will go away. It will no longer spread. Remember, my mask protects you, all of that BS, to now even Dr. Fauci himself saying masks only protect about 10% on the margins from COVID. If they're now arguing that masks only protect about 10%, I would say they have effectively ceded the ground and that there now is no justification that even they can cite as to whether or not masks should have ever been required and that they should have been worn. So they've moved from, if you wear a mask, you won't get COVID and we will end COVID to, hey, Masks only work on the periphery. And this has been data that I've been sharing with you for a long time. By the way, it's data that was banned. You couldn't share it on Twitter. You couldn't share it on Instagram. You couldn't share it on YouTube. They were trying to keep us from actually sharing real data on masks because they were the anti-science zealots. They didn't want their authority challenged. This is all important. Okay, So that's the first thing that Fauci says. Second thing, and I think it's important um, in this interview, he also says, I never tried to get schools to lock down. I never shut down any businesses. And I don't want you to miss what's going on here. This is the great circle of denying responsibility and, uh, and, and, and trying to pretend that no one actually made a choice. Because note what's going on here. Fauci will say, All I did was say what the CDC was recommending. I didn't have the authority. I'm speaking as if I were Fauci. I didn't have the authority to shut things down. But wait a minute. You went, Fauci, to all of these political leaders and you told them that if they didn't shut down, disaster was going to ensue in schools, in businesses, all over the country. Okay, So your recommendation was based on CDC recommendations that you should shut down. Okay? Schools, businesses, everything. But Fauci is trying to say, well, I didn't have the authority to shut anything down. I didn't actually shut anything down. The politicians that you bullied shut things down. And this is where the politicians then say, wait a minute, all we did was defer to the scientists. We didn't actually say that everything should shut down and that kids shouldn't be able to go to school and that your business was non-essential. We said the scientists were telling us this, 
So we deferred to the scientist. So have you noticed what happens there? The actual impact is everything shuts down. The reality is no one accepts the blame for the shutdowns. Everybody passes the buck. Harry S. Truman used to have a sign that said, the buck stops here. You are ultimately the decider. Politicians and public health experts all failed America. And now as the bill is coming due, they're all arguing that none of them were responsible for the choices that were made in this country. The reality is all of them were responsible because they came after people like me who got everything right just about from about May of 2020 on when I said every school should be open, I said every business should be open, I said every sport should be playing, masks were basically worthless, go back and look at my record, I was right on all of that. Fauci was wrong, he failed at his most crucible moment. All right, I love all of you. DBAP unless you need to SBAP. I am Clay Travis. This has been Outkick the Show. I will see you guys tomorrow. I hope you have fantastic Wednesdays.